Let's turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And then we're going to 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. From there we're going over to 2 Timothy to read a few verses. 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 and 19. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, made shipwreck. This charge I commit unto thee. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed. This is First Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed. To thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called. Then skipping over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost. That dwelleth in us. And then one final verse of scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me. Among many witnesses. The same commit thou. To faithful men. Who shall be able. To teach others. Also, what you've heard from me, Timothy, what I've committed to you, I want you to commit to others. Commit it to faithful men. And so today is part three of our lesson on the subject of commitment. We began before revival, and uh, it's been many weeks since we, since I've taught on it, and um, I may have done one week somewhere in the midst there. I don't remember now. Um, but, but anyhow, this is part three, and I do believe it will be the final installment of this lesson on commitment today. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord to help us. I need, I literally need the touch of God today. Let's everybody ask God for His help for his anointing, let's talk to him together. Let's praise Him together one time before we're seated, everybody. Let's praise Him together. Let's praise Him together. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Come on, let's worship Him. Let's worship Him. Let's worship Him. God, we praise You. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Because it has been a few weeks 
since um, I've taught, I do think it's important that I go back and do a bit of a review today, um, perhaps a little more extensive than uh, I would like, because <clears throat> I want to make sure everyone is on the same page here as we get started into uh, today's lesson. We've been talking about the need for commitment. We've talked about how important it is that you develop a singular focus in your life. Someone once said the outcome of one's life depends on two things. Number one, what goals he is committed to. And number two, the strength of those commitments. What you commit yourself to and then how strong those commitments are will determine the outcome of your life. The only way that a person can be truly committed is to have a singular focus. You can't have divided loyalties. You can't have divided uh, sense of obligations and really get a lot done. As, as it is clearly stated in the many verses of Scripture that I read in our text, the subject of commitment was one that Paul strove diligently to instill in Timothy. You understand that Timothy was Paul's protege. It was his son in the gospel. He was training Timothy uh, to take his place to step into the realm of ministry that the Apostle Paul had filled. And, and one of the things that he stressed over and over and over to Timothy was the need for commitment. I, I want to say to you today that if there has ever been a time, at least in my lifetime, where there is a desperate need, for ministers and teachers to proclaim the importance of commitment, it is today. Commitment simply is something that is not being promoted and is not being considered by many people as actually even being important. Unfortunately, too many people today are committed to one thing and one thing only, and that's themselves. That's it. Nothing else and nobody else matters. If you don't please me, then I don't need you. If you don't do what I want, then I don't need to spend time with you. Well, it's a very selfish age in which we live. And may God have mercy on us and help us to learn once again, how to serve others. How to commit ourselves to causes that are beyond our own good. Well, praise God. I'm telling you that we have reached a place where sacrifice has become a stranger. Compassion is now simply a byword. Commitment is an outdated idea. And unfortunately, this is in great, uh, it, it is greatly because parents have not been committed, and so they've not instilled a sense of commitment in their children. Parents are not committed to each other, they're not even committed to their children. It's a sad day, a sad day when women can just murder their unborn children without so much as an afterthought. I, I understand this line, my body, my choice, but you know, there's a couple things. Number one, that's not your body, that's a separate body. And number two, what happens to my body, my choice, when they start mandating vaccines? 
Well, it got quiet. But it's the truth. It only works one way. It's only when it's convenient for them. And I'm going to tell you the real reason why they want to be able to murder their babies on demand is because they don't want the commitment that it takes to raise a child. That's all it is. May God help us. May God help us. But look, this, this is in every area of life anymore. People don't want, they don't want to make commitments to anything. They don't want to make commitments to anything. People don't feel a commitment to the church. They don't feel a commitment to the kingdom of God. I am here to proclaim to you today, it is time for the children of God to return to the old-fashioned quality of commitment. Let us reach beyond ourselves and commit ourselves to the cause of God, to the kingdom of God, to the church of the living God. Because you see, look, this is something, folks, and, and I don't have time to reteach this. I taught it in a previous lesson. I'm still in the review part of this lesson, but, but I showed this from the Scripture. And you can go to our website and find the previous lessons there. Download them for free. Uh, but, but I showed you that God doesn't commit to just anybody and everybody. Jesus very clearly did not commit himself to some people. And the Bible says because he knew what was in them. They were following him only because of the miracles he would perform for them. They didn't love him. They weren't interested in serving him. They only wanted him to serve them. And as a result, he did not commit himself to them. That's what the Bible says. But I want to live my life in such a way that not only am I committed to God, but God will commit Himself to me. When we finally get to the point where I want to go today, uh, the, the end of this lesson, I'm going to talk about the benefits of God being committed to you. I'm going to tell you, church, there is a wonderful, wonderful benefit of having God committed to you. But it's only going to happen if you first commit to Him. And so we started out talking about six areas of commitment. uh, Six areas we need to commit uh, to God. And we've made it through um, five of those so far. We've got one more to cover still today. So let me just go over those very quickly without a lot of explanation. But we need to commit our souls to God. If you're here today without the power of the Holy Ghost, I want to tell you, not everybody's going to be saved. The Bible says that straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life everlasting and few there be that find it. The majority of the world is not going to be saved. I heard, a, I heard a lady, a comedian, talking about how when she was raised, you know, they used to teach certain principles that the church, the pastor would get up and tell you you had to live a certain way. And there were things you could do and you couldn't do. And She said, you know, they've kind of abandoned that through the years. And she said, I've noticed now, she said, every funeral I go to, everybody goes to heaven. She said, everybody goes to heaven. So I don't care who it is. She's telling this story. She said, she said, I don't care who it is. She said, you know... The, the, the preacher gets up and he says, well, Jeffrey is in a better place today. No more pain, no more suffering. But then he says, and I'm sure that's a comfort to Mrs. M- Mr. and Mrs. Dahmer. She said, I'm thinking if Jeffrey Dahmer made it, I got it made. For those of you who don't know Jeffrey Dahmer, he was a cannibal. Uh, anyhow, it, it, I mean, seriously, you go to, if you, everybody goes to heaven, everybody goes to heaven, 
Soon as, they're, soon as they pass away, oh, they're in heaven. They're in heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. You don't go to heaven by default. In fact, this is not in my notes, but get for me uh, uh, John chapter 3. And, and let's read verses 3 through 5 here this morning. John 3 verses 3 through 5. I'll get back to my notes in just a moment, but, but I, I feel like I need to say this today. John chapter 3 verses 3 through 5. And Jesus answered and said unto him. Now wait, wait, wait. Who's speaking here? Jesus. Who's speaking here? Who? So there's no argument about whether this is true or not. And Jesus answered and said to him. Verily, verily, I now, say now look, unto thee. Not only is this true, but Jesus starts out by saying, verily, verily, or that's old English for truly, truly, I tell you. Jesus is stressing the fact of how true this is. He's saying, this is an absolute fact. What? Except a man be born again. Unless a man is born again. He cannot see whoa, whoa, the kingdom. Whoa. He what? Cannot. He what? Cannot. He cannot. See the kingdom of God. See the kingdom of God. It's impossible. Unless a person is born again, it is impossible for them to be saved. Right. Now, Jesus said that. And Jesus put truly, truly in front of it. I mean, he's stressing the fact there is no give on this. This is non-negotiable. In fact, if you really want to look at this grammatically, because he says except, what that's called is that's, that's an exception clause. That exception clause is added to the rule that begins with the word he. So look at this. He cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the rule. The rule is nobody can be saved. That's the rule. The rule is, by default, everybody's lost. But there is an exception. Thank God there's an exception. Thank God there's an exception. So do you understand, if you make it to heaven, it's going to be by exception. You're going to get there because of exception. Except you are born again, you're going to be lost. But if you're born again, you won't be lost. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, let's keep reading. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered. Now, now look, Nicodemus asked the question in verse 4. What in the world are you talking about? This is the Riggin Revised Version. What in the world are you talking about? What do you mean born again? How do you get back in your mother's womb and be born? What, what are you talking about? So the answer that Jesus gives in verse 5 is an explanation to what he said in verse 3. Is everybody with me? Nicodemus wants to know what does it mean to be born again, so Jesus is about to tell him what it means. So let's read it, verse 5. Jesus answered. Jesus answered. Verily, verily. Truly, truly. I say unto I thee. I tell you. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Right, so we find the exception clause again. The rule is you cannot enter God's kingdom. That's the rule. The rule is every human being is forbidden from entering. That's the rule. But there is an exception. And he says what the exception is, you've got to be born of water and you've got to be born of the Spirit. Now, if you're born of water and of the Spirit, then you can get into the kingdom of God. But if you've never been born of water and Spirit, 
Now look, he didn't say, except you accept the Lord. He did not say, except you believe on Christ. He did not say, except you confess the Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. He didn't say that. So don't try to twist the words of the Apostle Paul that were written to a church that was already saved. Don't try to twist those words to mean something they don't mean. Jesus gives us the answer right here. If you want to get into God's kingdom, there's only one way to get in. You've got to be born of water and you've got to be born of the Spirit. There is no other way to get in. That's it. So if you want to be saved, this is the way to be saved. This is how you commit your soul to God. Let's go, let's read one more verse, Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 37 and 38. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Since it's the day of Pentecost being celebrated today, and since I didn't get a chance to read it um, from the steps of teaching because that was closed, it's part of an archaeological park and we didn't get in there. On the day of Pentecost. We got to see it. We didn't get to go in there. But, but uh, anyhow, I didn't get to go up on those steps and read it. I wish I could have on the day of Pentecost. It would have been a great time to do it. But anyhow, so Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this. When they heard this. They were pricked in their heart. Pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles. So they asked the direct followers of Jesus. Men and brethren, men and brethren, what shall we tell do? Tell us what to do. Now, these men are not going to contradict what Jesus has already said. They know that he has already said the only way you're going to enter is through the new birth, through being born of water and spirit. They're not going to contradict that. And the crowd asked them that day, tell us how to do it. How are we born of water and spirit? What shall we do? And Peter gives the answer in verse 38. Then Peter said unto then them, Peter said unto them repent, repent, and be baptized. And be baptized. Every one of you one in, of the, you name in of the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ for the remission, for the remission of, sins. of sin. And you shall, and you shall receive, receive the, the gift, gift of, the Holy, of Ghost. the Holy Ghost. Now I'm telling you, you want to be born of water, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to be born of the Spirit, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There is no other way to be born again. And there is no other way to get into heaven. It's not complicated. It's really very simple. And if you need further information on this, I'm telling you, just talk to somebody here. We'll be happy to sit down and teach you a full Bible study and show you every scripture, explain everything to you. This is the only way you can be saved. So we need to commit our souls to God. That's number one. I'm back on the lesson now, back on the lesson now. we got to commit our souls to God. Because we want our souls to be saved. We've got to commit our spirits to God. Amen. Our human spirit. We've got to determine that we are going to live the way God wants us to live. We've got to commit our ways to God. Our ways. We need to commit our works to God. Whatever we're going to do, it needs to be done unto the Lord. Well, praise God. We need to commit our causes to the Lord. And I, I, I read the scripture and, and uh, pointed out to you that the original uh, word that, that is translated cause um, means an estate. And, and our estate involves our finances. We need to have our finances committed to God. Faithful in our tithing. Faithful in our offering. Well, praise God. 
But not just our finances, our family is a part of our estate. And we need to commit our families to God. We need, we need more fathers to make the statement that Joshua made of old, as for me and my house. And if you're, if you're the mom and you're the one living for God or you're a single mom, you need to make the declaration on behalf of your household. If you're a teenager living without your parents, you need to make the declaration for your household. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're committing our family to God. Well, praise God. And so that's five. Our souls, our spirits, our ways, our works, our causes. So number six begins today's portion of the lesson. And we're going to talk about committing our conscience to God. First Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19. Brother Goff, read. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, they do, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves is that, a... Is that 1 Timothy 1, 18? Or does it... Okay. Okay, 1 Timothy 1, and 18 and 19. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, there, that sounds more like it. according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith, holding faith and a good conscience. And a good conscience. Which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. I'm going to tell you, the way that you make shipwreck in your life is when you put away your conscience. You know, one of the most dangerous things a person can do is start to violate their conscience. It really is. You, you start going against the little things that you, you don't feel comfortable with. And, and before long, you silence that voice that God put in you. That's right. In fact, the Apostle Paul even wrote about those whose conscience had become seared as with a hot iron and and um, the idea is that that you've you've reached a point where uh, the, the things that normally would affect you no longer affect you that that's why some people can lie and steal and and mistreat others and do all kinds of ungodliness and never feel a twinge of guilt. But they don't start out that way. You hear me? They don't start out that way. It's been a process to get to that point. People who can just look you in the eye and lie to you without flinching, they didn't start out that way. They started with little, quote-unquote, white lies. That's an interesting term. Because there's nothing white, nothing pure about a lie. The Bible says that the devil is the father of all. All. All lies. Every lie. Has been spawned by the devil. According to Jesus. And Revelation 21 and 8 says that all liars. Will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Doesn't say all except the white lies. I don't know who came up with that idea. No, there's nothing pure about any lie. But I'm telling you, as you begin to violate your conscience little by little, then you, you reach a point 
where you can do more and more that's wrong without feeling bad about it at all. Look, I, I'm going to tell you, when, when folks start missing church, someone that's been faithful to church, they miss one service, they feel terrible. But then they start missing more and more until they don't even think about it. It doesn't even cross their minds. Don't put away your conscience. Be committed to keeping a sincere and sharp conscience. Pray regularly for God to quicken your conscience. Keep it alive, God. Keep it sensitive, God. Don't let me override it, God. Don't let me find excuses for things that would silence the voice of my conscience. Now, in order for us to have a good conscience, one thing we've got to do is we've got to be fervent. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Yeah, not slothful, not slothful, but fervent, serving the Lord. Now, how, how does that happen? Let me, let, let's just back up and read this entire portion. It's a long reading, so you might want to get your Bibles so you can read along with us. This is Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Give them just a second here to, to get to it. I hear some pages turning. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse number 9. And, and the verse that I just read, verse 11, is in the middle of all this. So we're going to start with verse 9 and read down through 21. I want you to notice what all is involved in being fervent, serving God. Romans 12, verse 9, now read. Let love be without dissimulation. Right, the word dissimulation means without hypocrisy. Don't, don't be fake about it. Don't smile and say you love somebody while you've got a dagger in your hand. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Abhor means to hate. Hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Uh huh. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Right. In honoring, preferring one another. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Yes. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Continuing in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Giving to others. Giving to hospitality. Yes. Bless them which bl persecute you. Bless and curse not. Oh, Jesus. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Now, let, me, let me just throw something in here. You know what I've found out? I've found out through the years that many times it's easier to find people that will weep with me when I'm weeping than it is to find people to rejoice with me when I'm rejoicing. Now, that may not make sense, but, but it's the truth. Um, in, in years of, of home missionary work, I found, you know, if I would just be honest with people and just tell them, look, I'm really struggling right now. Man, they, they felt compassion. They'd, well, we're praying for you. And it was just, you know, they'd shed a few tears with me and pray for me and be concerned about me. But, but if I had some little victory, man, we had a, had, had a brand new guy come in and pray through this weekend. Oh, well, that's nice. And, and you know, it, it, I, I don't understand it, but I, I watched this happen. I was at a meeting, and, and I watched as a preacher was relating some great things that was happening in his church. And, and I watched another man just stand there, and he's just kind of nodding, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's great, that's great. He walked off, and I thought, man, that's terrible. This guy was so excited and, and the person he's telling just, it's like they couldn't care less. And uh, so I sent a message to the man. I said, look, I just want to tell you something. I just want you to know if you ever want somebody to rejoice with you, 
or you've had a victory, please contact me. I'll rejoice with you. I don't care if I'm going through bad times when you're going through good times. I'm not going to get jealous. I'm not going to try to pull you down into my despondency. I'm going to rejoice with you while you're rejoicing. Because one day I'm going to be on top of things. And I'm going to want somebody to rejoice with me. All right, that's another lesson for another day. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Yeah. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Don't be guilty of payback. I need to just write a written revised version. I mean, I just... Don't try to get even. Read. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Be honest. If it be possible. Now, I love this verse. If it be possible. As much as lieth in you. As much as lieth in you. Live peaceably with all men. You know what that sounds like to me, Brother Self? Sounds like Paul had some trouble living peaceably with some people. And he says, look, just give it your best shot, Okay. Don't, don't just write them off. Give it your best shot. Right. If it's possible, because some people it's just not possible. <laughs> there are some people, I don't care what you do, you're not going to live in peace with them. Right. 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 They don't know anything about peace. The psalmist said, I am for peace and they are for war. Right. Right. And I've found that to be true in a lot of lives. And it sounds like Paul found that to be true too. So he said, look, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, give it everything you got. Try to live peaceably with all men. Read. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Don't avenge yourselves. Here he goes again. But rather give place unto wrath. Give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Oh. I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, there are a few things. A few things that God has reserved as his own. They belong to him and to no one else. And God does not want you touching those things. Now this really ought to be a lesson in and of itself as well. It really should. Because... And maybe I will one day just teach on the things that belong to God. The tithe belongs to God. That's His. We don't touch it. We don't mess with it. That's God's. Right? Um, the Bible says, the Lord said, um, touch not mine anointed, neither do my prophets any harm. The ministry is God's that belongs to Him. Now, there are bad apples, I promise you. There's plenty of bad apples that give all of the ministry a bad name. But it still belongs to God. The Bible says that we are God's peculiar people. That word peculiar doesn't mean odd. It means it is unique to Him alone. In other words, we belong to God and nobody else. So I'm telling you, when people touch the people of God, we need to understand God will come to our defense. Because we are His unique possession. And vengeance. That's God's and God's alone. Trying to seek retribution, trying to get even. That's God's territory. 
Stay out of there. Don't do it. You let God take care of it. He may not do it as quickly as you'd like, and He may not do it the way you like, because in fact, it may not be the way you perceive it to be. But God knows all of the facets and all of the factors. And God will deal with it as He sees fit. But vengeance is His. And to say, I will repay, is to take from God what He claimed. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right, let's read on. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, if your enemy hungers, feed him. Feed him. If he thirsts, if he thirsts give him drink. Give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Yes. Be not overcome Don't of evil. Don't be overcome of evil. But overcome but evil overcome with good. Overcome evil of good or with good. And so this is what it takes to be fervent in spirit, to be serving God with a committed conscience. These are the things God expects of us. Now to have a good conscience, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be faithful. Revelation 2 verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Be thou faithful unto death. We need to be faithful at all times. We need God to be able to depend on us. You know, it's an amazing thing to me when I look at the story of Job and the devil standing in front of God and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I, I looked into that. There, there is some question about what exactly that means. I heard one great man explain that really it wasn't so much as God saying, um, I want you to think about Job. It was God reading the devil's mind and saying, oh, so you've been considering Job, have you? Because the devil was quick. The devil didn't say, Job, Job who? He was quick to respond. Job serves you for naught. He, he, you know, you've got this fence around him, and, 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 and if, if you'll take that away, he won't serve you anymore. And so God said, yeah, all right, let me prove it to you. God said, you can take everything he's got, but don't touch his body. Now, you know why God did that? Because God had faith in Job. Job was faithful to God. And God said, he'll come through this. He'll do the right thing. So the devil smote him, took everything he had. He comes back before God and God said, hmm, thinking about Job still, are you? The devil said, yeah, but skin for skin. You touch a man's body and he'll, he'll, he'll curse you. God said, yeah, not so much. It's not going to happen, devil. But I'll let you try. You just can't take his life. So the devil smote him with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And Job still remained faithful to God. See, God trusted Job. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe the reason you're going through the difficulties you're going through is not because God's mad at you, but because God's proud of you? Well, that puts a little different spin on things. Maybe the reason why you're, you're suffering or you're struggling right now, whatever in whatever way, is because God said, oh, you've been considering so-and-so. 
Well, let me just tell you, you can do what you want to to them, but I know them. They're not going to curse me. They're not going to backslide. They're not going to give up. I've got faith in them. You know what that ought to make you do? It ought to make you square your shoulders back and say, God, I'm not going to let you down. I know it's tough. I know I'm, I'm really going through it right now. But God, I believe you're going to help me through all of this. And I refuse to give in to the attack of the enemy. Well, God said of Abraham, he said, he said, I know him that he'll command his children after him. That's what God said. I know him. I know what he'll do. God had faith in Abraham. That's why, you know, this song, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Well, let me just tell you something. God doesn't call everybody friend. He did call Abraham friend. And that was a very unique title that he gave to Abraham. But he doesn't call everybody friend. Now, he is a friend to everybody. But not everybody is a friend to him. You understand the difference? I don't just want Jesus to be my friend. I want to be his friend. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed with tears streaming down my face. God, please let me be a friend to you. I want you to have faith in me. I want you to be able to trust me that I'm going to do what's right, that I'm going to live right, that I'm going to make the right choices, that I'm going to do the right things. I want you to have confidence in me. You've been such a friend to me. I want to be a friend to you. We've got to be faithful in obedience. John 14 and 15 says this. If you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah. Somebody put the bumper sticker on their car. Honk if you love Jesus. And then somebody came up with a second one and said, if you love Jesus, tithe, any old goose can honk. I think the real answer is this, if you love Jesus, keep his commandments. Do what he commands you to do. That's the real sign of love. See, that's not legalism, that's not bondage, that's real love. When you live the way God wants you to live, that's real love. I've explained this so many times, but I just feel like saying it again today. You know, there are things that, that if I know my wife does not like, if, if I look at a tie and I say, hey, honey, what do you think about this? Yeah, Okay, well, I'm, I won't get it. Why? Am I in bondage to her? No. It's because I love her and I want to please her. And if God has given us a whole book of things that He says, this pleases me, this displeases me, then I'm just not going to do the things that I know displease God. That's not bondage, that's love. Yes, it is. That's really unselfish love. See, today's idea of love is, I love you, so you must do for me. No, that's not love. Real love is, I love you, therefore I will do for you. Whether or not you do for me. That's why you see some of these, some of these couples that for years, um, the, the husband or the wife may be comatose or uh, have dementia, not even know who their spouse is, and yet they're... they're, they're their, their spouse, the other spouse, will be there every day at their side, talking to them, uh, holding their hand. They're not getting one thing out of the relationship, 
But you know why they're doing it? Because they love that person. And you just don't leave what you love. You hear me? If you really fall in love with God, you'll live for Him without a problem. It's not hard to live for God when you love Him. You want to make Him happy. You want to please Him. We've got to be faithful in our outreach. 1 Timothy 1.11 According to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The gospel that was committed. This is one of the things that's committed to us. We've got to take the gospel to those that need it. We've got to be faithful in holiness. Hebrews 12 and 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We've got to be faithful in helping. I'm trying to hurry through some of this. We've got to be faithful in helping. 2 Corinthians 5.19 To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed and unto us. he's committed to us. The word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation. We need to be reconciling others. Now, let me, let me come down here to the point that I've been wanting to get to in this whole lesson. Because it is so important that we commit to God. As I said, God will only commit to us after we've made a commitment to Him. That's when He really commits to us. Now, He showed us He loved us by going to Calvary. By laying His life down, He showed that He loved us. But to get him to commit to us requires that we first commit to him. Once we do and God commits to us, I want us to look at some verses that talk about what God does for those to whom he is committed. Let's go to the book of Psalms. In fact, open your Bibles. Let's everybody go there together. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verses 16 through 19. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Now notice that, a little, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of the wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Now notice this, in the days of famine, those that are serving God will be satisfied. Do you understand what God is committing to? God is telling us that even when the rest of the world is starving, if He's committed to you, you're going to be satisfied. You're not going to be starving. He will take care of you. That's why he said a little that a righteous man hath. Now, he didn't promise you that in the midst of famine you're going to have plenty. He didn't say you're going to have abundance. But he said you will be satisfied. He will take care of you. Well, a little that a righteous man hath. You remember the widow with the cruise of oil and the barrel of meal? She only had a little, but you know what? She was satisfied throughout the famine. Well, do you remember the lad with the five loaves and two fishes? The crowd was satisfied by the little bit that he had. 
I'm telling you, God can take your little bit and take care of you through the worst of times. When God is committed to you, He can multiply anything and everything. God's blessing on that little makes it satisfying. Well, hallelujah. All right, still Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And we're talking about those to whom God has committed himself. God will order your steps. God will direct your path. And even if you fall, you're not going to be utterly cast down. Because God is going to uphold you with his own hand. God will pick you up. God will catch you when you fall. If God's committed to you. Please note, he doesn't say we'll never have a time of stumbling. He doesn't say we're never going to have times of trouble. Those times are going to come. But when they do, if God is committed to us, he will pick us up. He will see us through. He will take care of us. Oh, thank God. Amen, amen, amen. In fact, consider, consider the following uh, verses. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 16. For a just man falleth seven times, seven times, and riseth up again. But he riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. Hallelujah. I'm t- it's not that we'll never fall, but it's that God will make sure we get back up. God's going to see to it when he's committed to us. Are you hearing me? God's not going to leave you laying by the side of the road. God's not going to leave you out there to just struggle and die. There was an old song that was popular when I was a teenager. I used to love that song, but it it simply said he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't pick you up to let you down. That's the God that I serve. Micah 7 verse 8. Rejoice not against Rejoice me, not against oh, mine me. oh, mine enemy. When I when fall, I, fall I, shall I shall arise. I shall, I shall, I shall. I may be laying in the gravel right now. I may be bleeding and bruised right now. But I want you to know, devil, I'm getting up. You know how I know that? Because God's committed to me. God's going to pick me up. God's going to see to it that I'm able to get up and go on. I shall arise, and when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. The Lord is going to be a light to me. The devil may turn all the lights off, but God will turn his own light on. And the devil can't shut that one off. Psalm 37, verses 25 to 31. I have been young, and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. God forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Yes. The righteous shall inherit the land yes. and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom. And his tongue talketh judgment. The law of the Lord is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Look, all of this is still in Psalm 37. We started out there, Psalm 37, 16 to 19, and then verses 23 to 40, and now we're 25 to 31. You might just want to mark Psalm 37. This is a great, great passage of Scripture for you to remind yourself, once God makes a commitment to you, this is what he promises to do for his people. Go through and find these promises and remind yourself that He will preserve those to whom He is committed. 
All right, let's read on, verses 32 through 40. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. God's not going to leave. Even though the wicked comes after you, God's not going to leave you alone. God's not going to let the enemy destroy you. Read. Wait on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord. And keep his keep way. Keep his way. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Yes. When the wicked are cut off. Because the wicked will be cut off. Thou shalt see and it. And you're going to see it when it happens. I have seen the wicked in great power. Yes. And spreading himself like a green bay tree. Oh, yeah. Yet he passeth away. Yet the wicked passed away. And lo, he was not. Right. Yea, I sought him, but could he could not be found. Right. Mark the perfect Mark man. Mark that perfect man. And behold, behold the upright. Behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. The end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. Oh, come on, somebody. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. Them he, sh- he shall deliver the them wicked. from the wicked and yes. save them because they trust in him. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you that when God commits himself to someone, God fights their battles. And therefore, they win every time. God helps that individual. God delivers that individual. God saves that individual. Praise God. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Right. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh. They were on their way to destroy me, but here's what happened. They stumbled they and fell. They stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp Though against an me. Though an host should encamp against me. My heart shall not I'm fear. I'm not afraid. Though war should rise against me. rise against me. In this in will this I be confident. Will I be confident. Hallelujah. I'm going to be confident in the fact that the Lord is the strength of my life. As long as I've got his strength, I've got everything I need. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and all and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thou, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed Don't by the reason. Don't be dismayed. By reason of this, of great, this multitude, great multitude, for the battle is not the yours. Battle is not yours, but God's. It's God's. Hallelujah! Oh, I wish somebody would realize that this morning. I'm telling you, when you commit yourself to God, when you live a life of commitment, then the battles that come your way, God says, uh-uh, that's my fight. I'm going to step in. I'm going to take care of that. I'm not going to let the devil bring you down. I'm not going to let the enemy destroy you. God's going to step up and fight for you. Romans 8, 31. What shall what we then shall say, we to, these say to these things? If God be if for God us, be for who us, can be against who us? Who can be against us? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Who is there that would take, dare take on the God of Israel? Who is there that could stand against him? Oh, I'm telling you, church, if we commit to God, amen, then God will commit to us and he will fight for us. Well, praise God. I want to commit myself to God in such a degree that he will in return commit to me. This much we know, that once God makes a commitment, He doesn't back down from those commitments. God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. Are you hearing me this morning? When God makes a commitment, oh, I want God to be committed to me. When God makes a commitment to me, 
I'm telling you, nothing can destroy me. Nothing can harm me. As long as I live my life committed to Him, then God will reciprocate and commit to me. Amen, amen. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Praise God. We need to keep our commitment to God. We come to the music, first, Second Timothy. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. As I bring this lesson to a close, not just this part, but this lesson on commitment, let me just say to you, church, there are two challenges that I want to issue to you today. First of all, I want to challenge you to keep your commitment to God. Keep your commitments to God. Commit yourself to God in every way. In every area of your life, be committed to Him. But the second challenge is this. Pass that commitment along to somebody else. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. The same commit thou to faithful men. Let us not only keep our commitments, but let's pass it along to those that come behind us. Let's stand this morning and lift our hands to the Lord. Let's talk to Him right now, everybody. Let's talk to the Lord. Can we just lift our voices to Him?